3: Good morning and welcome to Autism Live in the year 2014. We're thrilled to be back. Today is Wednesday. It's a beautiful day to be back and start a new year here with you. Uh, you know that I love Wednesdays because Dr. Doreen Grampuche joins us for Ask Dr. Doreen. She is here and we'll be answering your questions in just a few minutes. And then the second hour, we have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspot Jackson will be here with me. We're both very excited to give you a holiday wrap-up to talk about some of the controversies that have been going Going on on Facebook and other social media having to do with the autism community. And we have a really wonderful guest in that second hour with Nancy, Andrew Duff, a young man who, in his words, got better. Uh, he was diagnosed with autism, and he is an amazing young man. You're going to want to hear his story and see some of what he is doing using theater as a tool to inform people about what it's like to be on the autism spectrum and, again, as he says, to get better. So. So, that will be in the second hour. A couple of things that I want to remind you, before we start with Dr. Grand is that this entire show is meant to be interactive. We're here for you and want to be a resource for you to get the information that you want, whether you're a parent, teacher, practitioner working with a child who's on the spectrum or a young adult or an adult on the spectrum, or you yourself are the person who is on the autism spectrum. We want to help connect you with information that will help you to get further in the things that you want to accomplish. That's very individual, right? Uh, But there is a way that you can connect with us if you're watching the live show. You can watch the live show at www.autism-live.com. When you go there, you see a computer screen, hit the little triangle and you can be watching either the live show or a recently recorded version of the live show. And then next to that computer screen is a long skinny white box. That is your interactive feature, put your cursor there, start typing, whatever you would like to say to us, whether it's a suggestion for a story that you would like for us to cover, whether you got something you want to get off your chest or you have a question for one of our experts you can type that there it is entirely free there is no login and you can participate with us in that way there are many ways to participate with us though and Emily has been showing you some of the different ways that you can connect with the show we hope that you will in the way that suits your lifestyle you know as an autism parent I was just saying to somebody yesterday when we started on this journey I wanted information but I needed it at 2:30 in the morning when I could finally get my child to sleep. So we hope that you will find the way to connect with the information that we provide here at the time that suits you. And if you find that that's difficult, let us know, because we'll find a new way to connect. There are many different ways out there, but we're always looking for new ways. So uh, I I don't want to belabor that, but I want to welcome you to 2014, and it is time for Ask Dr. Doreen.
4: Is, Dr. Dr. Doreen is an expert in
3: autism. Doreen Grampichet. Dr. Grampichet. Dr. Doreen Grampichet. Dr. Doreen Grampichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We are so thrilled to have Dr. Doreen Grandpachet here with us. Good Welcome morning. to 2014.
5: Oh, I know, we're back. It's so exciting. It Good is morning. so exciting
3: and so thrilled to have you here. Thank you very much. It's you, nice to be back. You are such a wonderful resource for all of us. Oh, thank uh, you. You are a true expert in this field of autism and as I always like to remind everybody, a visionary in this field of autism.
5: I don't know, Shannon. I'm falling behind. I have constantly, <laughs> like you gave me something to read today. I'm constantly trying to keep up. Well, it's a huge
3: Field, it but uh, you know, you have been working in this field for multiple decades. I never like to remind people because you look much younger than you are, <laughs> uh, and I don't want to give that away, but um, and you have a heart for this subject that I think is hard to find that any, anytime somebody gets an opportunity to hear you speak or to see you interact with a child it really is life-changing and I, and I love that we have a format here for people to be able to connect with you in this way yeah absolutely. so it's a wonderful wonderful thing and we've got a lot to cover today but before we do anything I always like to remind everybody that no one on the show can give child specific advice for very good reason there isn't in this format there isn't a way that they could give you enough information for you to be able to use your expertise to give child specific advice Is that's that correct?
5: Right. yeah we just want to caution our viewers uh, because uh, we don't know we 're not getting enough information about any child, so we 're going to do our best, but yeah. you know we will always uh, uh, suggest that you see a professional when, when it gets a little bit yeah. complicated.: This
3: is a great format, but it does have its limitations, and that, is, that is one of them. Um, but having said that, there are so many things that you are able to talk about that are so enlightening that further us on the path and, and over the holidays, some of you wrote in, and, and a couple of them I forwarded uh, to Dr. Grandpochet about some of the uh, information that you got here and how that was able to help you we love to have follow-up if you if something works or doesn't work we love to know because really that's that's really why we're here is, is to help to provide you with Absolutely. access to doctor Grandpachet and and to further that information. So we've had some questions that have come in, people who have been waiting patiently while we were on break. Uh, one in particular, we have two young men who watch the show almost religiously mm-hmm. that are so inspirational to me, both young men who have cerebral palsy okay. and who are so interested in the field of autism. One of them is planning to be a therapist and, and the other is interested, I think, more in research, and his question for us today is that even though Rett syndrome was discovered to be its own genetic disorder, it does it have comorbidity with autism? Well, I,
5: I don't know that you could say it has comorbidity, because it takes over. If you have a diagnosis of Rett, then you're treating Rett, which is much more uh, important to treat. Um, when you have a disorder that you can, uh, you can diagnose based on genetic components, then you go with that, rather than something that you're diagnosing based on behavioral, because when you based on behavioral symptoms, you don't really know the cause. Mm-hmm. So RETS being a much more severe disorder would take precedence, but, you know, it used to be part of the autism spectrum disorder um, five diagnoses. It was um, autistic disorder Asperger's pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, disintegrative disorder, which none of us ever really used, because it was basically autism—regressive autism, Mm -hmm. and then RETS. And so, it was definitely part of the syndrome, because the behavioral characteristics were very similar
3: okay, and then uh, as another question that he wanted to know um he, at this point with the d s m five is autism uh w- wondering about autism is it considered to be a pervasive developmental disorder, a neurological disorder, or if it's listed now as a neurological pervasive developmental disorder right
5: uh, <coughs> your questions are really good um,
3: they're great questions yeah.
5: people don't really uh Go into the definition of these things too much, and you were doing that, and that's great. It's pervasive in that it it affects more than one system, so it affects your language development and your social development, and, of course, it also um, correlates with the presence of those stereotypical repetitive behaviors. Um, if it was affecting just one system, like language, for instance, then it would be some form of language disorder, but it's pervasive in that it it, ha- it goes beyond just one area. Um, it is neurological, in the sense that it is affecting brain functioning. And um, you know, it's you could also say that it is genetic, because there is a genetic component to it, but, uh, as I've said before, the general understanding or belief is that the genetic aspects uh, will influence immune functioning and will—you uh, know, more and more now, science is leading towards the belief that this has something to do with high oxidative stress, low methylation. It has to do with how we metabolize and how we—our um, our entire biochemical system. And uh, if those factors—for instance, methylation um, is are are not functioning correctly, then we are less likely to be able to receive nutrients from our foods and less likely to be able to detoxify fast enough from um, things that are toxic in the environment. So. Um, when our biochemistry when our when our let 's say um, skewed biochemistry or biochemistry of our kids where it 's not really functioning the way that it should, interacts with environmental toxins, then that will possibly result in these symptoms that we call autism
3: okay. Uh- a, a lengthy explanation, yeah. but I hope hopefully that works for you. And you'll I know that you'll give me follow up if that's if you want more information about that. And then we we had a really long question um, from a young man who previously was diagnosed with PDD-NOS, mm-hmm. and he has some concerns now that the DSM-5 changes have happened about where you know his feeling is that. Uh, Really, it's only been a question of insurance up to this point. Mm -hmm. And he lists what his insurance... would have been. He has a feeling that now, if he were to be diagnosed, it would be autism spectrum disorder, but perhaps at level one, mm-hmm. um, the least severe level. He says, but I'm not sure. To have a social communication disorder, according to the DSM-5, my understanding is that autism spectrum disorder would have to be ruled out, and I don't see how that would happen easily. Based on what I've read, when the organization started using DSM-5 and DSM-4TR becomes obsolete, and PDD-NOS and Asperger syndrome become an obsolete diagnosis. I will probably be considered as having an autism spectrum disorder, but I don't let that bother me and I'm sure that I will get used to it. Is that in fact what will happen to most of the PDD, NOS and Asperger disorder adults?
5: Yeah. What will happen or what is, um, I I suppose, in some ways, you're grandfathered in. Mm -hmm. So if you already have a diagnosis of Asperger's or PDD-NOS, then, yes, you will fall now under the ASD diagnosis. However, sometime in the future, perhaps, if you are seeking help or, let's say, a year from now, anytime after the first year and you see a professional, they, of course, could then go back and say, oh, no, you really don't have PDD-NOS anymore, um, but now you have social communication disorder or some other thing. And you are correct in that if you are not under the ASD umbrella, your insurance will cut off. Okay, And And that's why, when I did the initial diagnostic presentation, Mm
6: -hmm.
5: I did mention the social communication disorder, because it's a new diagnosis. And I do believe this uh, young gentleman is very astute in in figuring this out, and that I do believe that over time, the concept here is that if you are too mild, or if you're very, very, if you have very, very mild symptoms of ASD, then you might be reclassified, and once you, your, or your symptoms might be reclassified, and if they are, that
3: would be one way that insurance can cut off. Because there is no mandate at this point to get uh, services for social communication disorder. Correct. It's
5: like saying, well, I mean, it's not that it would cut off, it would just go under mental health, right? And mental health is like anxiety or like any other thing, and with mental health your your coverage changes completely. (laughs) and you'll drop down to like maybe fifty percent of a thousand dollars in a year or something like that.
3: Okay, so your answer brought up a question for me. Let's Uh say that you have a child who was diagnosed with PDD-NOS and you were fighting for your insurance before, now Mm -hmm. you've been grandfathered in and so they're considered ASD for this period of time so you can be getting, uh, in in most states, you can be getting autism services, getting ABA and we want to encourage everybody to get quality ABA, that's my watchword for this entire year. Great. but um, let 's say that you, the next time that you have your triannual IEP the school is going to request that you get your child re evaluated mm-hmm. and at that point so
5: okay, and that 's a really good point what you 're bringing up so what happened do you remember i don 't know if you well, this was our experience in california let 's put it that way because California had a system up to or still has a system where actually it 's slightly changing but where the regional center system, Department of Developmental Disabilities, um, would fund autism, but not PDD or Asperger's, if you recall. So, you know, a lot of times our kids would come in and very—to be ethical, I had to either diagnose them with autism or autistic disorder or Asperger's or PDD, and the truth is. you know, it is what it is. As a professional, you have to be very ethical and honest about these things. But it was a very small difference, and it was quite a diff- uh, ridiculous situation because, you know, with PDD and with autism, you have six symptoms. With pdd and OS, you have five. It's Complete ridiculousness.
3: Right. Kid, the and kid still needs support and still the needs still the services, needs... but that one thing meant the difference of whether they got the funding or not. Exactly. Tragic.
5: Exactly. Now, on the one hand, every parent wants to hear that my child is, doesn't fit. That right. doesn't have enough symptoms to have a diagnosis of autism or autistic disorder. But on the other hand, it really will determine your future in some ways, because if you don't get that funding, you're going to stay right where you are. Yeah. And the other side of it, of course, was that a child who came in with autistic disorder would, over the course of a year or two years, their diagnosis would change, right? Yeah. Because their symptoms would be reducing anyway, yeah. and so they would gradually become either P D N O S or Asperger's or A.D.H.D. even, right. and, and then nothing, um, or other things. I mean, you could also go into like, let's say, mixed receptive-expressive language disorder, and so on. And so your diagnosis changes as your symptomology changes because sure. you realize all of these diagnoses have to do with behavioral symptoms. Yeah. So. Um, but the point was you know for us it wasn't necessary because it 's not like our a b a or our, our therapy only affects a child with six symptoms and doesn't really affect a child with five symptoms mm-hmm. we're changing behavior we're we're bringing kids onto the normal uh curve of development. so for us, we would continue to fund and uh in some cases, as you said, Shanna the regional center would go back and require that the family get a diagnosis, and the, yes before they were finished, their funding was cut off. And I think, with insurance, this is one way that, as our children progress and and come out of the ASD spectrum, you know, and start going into other uh, slightly less delays that could be potentially diagnosed as other things, um,
3: this is one way that their funding will
5: unfortunately
3: end. So, I'm—as I'm, a parent, I'm wondering for parents if they should be—if you've already—if you're grandfathered in, you should be very careful about getting your child evaluated.
5: Absolutely. I mean, with my kid—you have to realize any child, right, who, who has autism and then receives therapy and comes out of the autism, recovers from the autism, it's not like you recover from one day to the next. Right. You recover by gradually losing symptoms and gaining skills, and as you gradually lose symptoms and gain skills, your diagnostic criteria change, yeah. right? The minute that your communication or language hits normal, you might still have stereotypical behaviors, you might yeah. still have social delays, but you you can't hit diagnosis of autism anymore. You know what I'm saying? So, I do, and so the fear you have to is... you be very cautious with that. I've always been very cautious with that. I've never touched diagnosis until I, unless I needed to. Okay. And I don't think school districts... Once they have an initial diagnosis, I'm not sure if they will require additional diagnostic validation every triennial. I don't think they do. I don't okay.
3: know. I'm not sure about that. I don't—just off the top of my head, I don't remember that. But I think, you know, the, the thing that—the f- walk away for parents is if you are grandfathered in, be cautious, be cautious. about getting another diagnosis before you're done. That's we correct. don't leave really job— Unfinished.
5: Well, that's one thing. And the other thing is, of course, you—as a parent, if you want to know what's going on for your own sake, remember that when you get a diagnosis from a psychologist, it is entirely confidential. Mm. or from a uh, good pediatrician points. or a psychiatrist or whatever. And so unless you release that diagnosis to anyone else, it's only yours.
3: Good point. Yeah. A really good point. Uh, really important <laughs> information for us to know. We're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we have a question for Dr. Grampachet about the BIP Builder portion mm-hmm. of skills uh, because it's got some exciting things that are happening with it that she's going to let us know about, so stick with us. Uh, we're, and, and as we go into that video, uh, as we, before we talk about that, uh, we are going to take this opportunity during this break to show you—we had Dr. Jonathan Tarbox on the show and just a couple of weeks ago talking about some of the research behind this BIP Builder. It's a Behavior Intervention Plan Builder. So we're going to take a look at—this is just from December—Dr. Jonathan Tarbox talking about the
2: research behind this. A new study of ours came out where we basically took one piece of the overall skills system uh, that's a tool called the BIP Builder, or Behavior Intervention Plan Builder, and we tested it out. And so the idea behind this tool is to basically give um, clinicians, whether it's a a board-certified behavior analyst or a special education teacher or a parent, et cetera, give them tools that will help them make the behavior intervention plans that they design a little bit better. Okay. So it's not going to replace you know, the need for a BCBA, mm-hmm. but it's going to give that BCBA tools that will point him or her in the direction of creating BIPs that are the least intrusive, mm-hmm. the most evidence-based, um, and that are directly linked to the function of the child's challenging behavior. So it's not kind of just pick your flavor of the week Mm -hmm. it's pick treatments that are actually proven to work and that are ethical and that are likely to actually help that person get what they need in their life rather than having challenging behavior
3: which is a great idea um, but you tested it out and what did you find
2: right so what we found basically what we did was we took um, actually it was card uh, supervisors and supervisor trainees and we randomly assigned them to one of two groups either um, the treatment group or the control group okay the treatment group used the BIP builder the control group didn't okay Mm -hmm. now all of these folks are already folks who know how to write BIPs they've already been trained on functions of behavior they've already been trained on evidence-based practices and they're already good at writing BIPs okay um
3: So you just wanted to see if this could make them that much better.
2: Exactly, yeah. So the point of the study, and and honestly, that's the point of the BIP Builder. It's not to replace uh, someone who knows how to treat challenging behavior. Computers are never going to do that. Um, But technology can make them even better, right? Or make them more efficient or be able to get that information out to a a larger audience, right? So what we did is we uh, randomly assigned them to one of two groups, treatment or control. For both groups, we said, give us one uh, behavior intervention plan that you've written for one behavior for one child, just one. And we take it, and then we rate the quality of the behavior intervention plan, okay? Okay. Then we randomly assign half of those to use the BIP Builder to update the plan. So basically, make the plan again, but now use the BIP Builder tool, Mm -hmm. and we see, does that have an effect on the plan? Does it make it better, worse, whatever, right? Then the control group, we said, update your BIP just normally, without the BIP Builder. They've never used the BIP Builder, they don't even know what it is necessarily, so they just use whatever the normal you know, expertise is to update their behavior intervention plans. So two groups, they both update an existing BIP, uh, one using the BIP Builder, one not, and then what we did was compare how those BIPs changed, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what we found was the u- using the BIP Builder um, made the behavior intervention plans more function-based, So, they were more directly addressing the function of the child's challenging behavior, Mm -hmm. which is great. Yes. And that effect was statistically significant. Uh, And we also found that the BIP builder um, uh, did not really have an effect on how intrusive or how Mm punishment-based the BIPs were, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a good reason for that. We had what's called a ceiling effect, which is basically if your behavior is already at an expert level, it's not necessarily going to get better, even if you're using a good tool. Okay. okay? Uh, so, at um, at the beginning of the study, the behavior intervention plans weren't using punishment anyways. Okay. So when they used the BIP builder to update them, it didn't change the amount of punishment they were using because they weren't using it to begin with. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. So it can't really get any better in that category. Right. Um, uh, but so we're fine with that outcome, right?
3: Yeah. But that's, those are high-level trained people who are doing that. That's right. I would be excited to see if you took people who don't have the benefit of all the card training and see how much better they would be as a result of it. That's right.
2: And so there's a million different studies that we want to do with this, right? right? Like We'd like to take a parent who's just doing their best and has read a couple books, has seen a few things on the internet, but they're not experts, they're just doing their best, give them the BIP Builder and see if that actually improves the quality of the behavior intervention plans they come up with, right? But I'm
3: excited the fact that it made the experts, made it a little bit more efficient and made them them better out the gate to begin with, made it more function-based. Yeah, yeah.
2: Very exciting. made their behavior intervention plans a little bit more evidence-based too, mm-hmm. meaning that they um, that they selected treatment components that were actually based on research, not just kind of whatever tradition suggests might be a good idea. Uh, and again, there was a bit of a ceiling effect there. They are already doing really good on that. I think right. they were already at 90 or 95% uh, on that. So there wasn't a lot of room to improve, but they did improve a little bit. Now, we didn't see uh, a statistically significant effect on that which means that the improvement was there but the statistics couldn't tell whether uh, it may have gotten a little bit better, anyways, even without the VIP builder. So it's kind of some scientific mumbo jumbo there. But basically, what it comes down to is, um, if we had larger groups of uh, of uh, supervisors that were participating, then that effect might have been statistically significant. Okay. But it's it's visually apparent. If you look at the graphs in in the manuscript, you can see like, they improved. It's
3: very um, exciting. So yeah.
2: So it's fun stuff. It was an interesting study to do. And uh, but the main thing with technology, and that's why I love your show so much, honestly, is is technology has the um, the potential to to get what we know works out there to the world so honestly like our card supervisors they don't really need the BIP builder it right. will make them better and it's right. a nice tool to make their job more efficient and, and even better but people who really need it are people around the world so what would really be cool would be to take, let's say, a group of parents in South Africa or a school in, you know, Eastern Europe, somewhere that has little to no access to expert ABA consultants and give them a little bit of training and give them the BIP Builder and see, does that actually help them be more efficient or help them be higher quality?
3: Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. Again, that was Dr. Jonathan Tarbox talking about some of the research behind the BIP Builder. It's a, it is... a, it is. A section of skills, but there's something exciting happening with this VIP. Yeah, build-up. well,
5: I mean, first of all, it's going solo today, so it's it's its own product, and it's going live, and so you can you can actually uh, gain access to this um, on its own without needing skills. Now, it's an incredibly important tool, and nothing like this exists. That's why it's very very important. Well, nothing like skills exists either, but really nothing at all like the VIP Builder, even nowhere even in the same arena. So, you know, and and with autism, this is why this is such an important thing, like, it's not really even autism, any any problem behavior. So you as a parent or a teacher or anyone involved with an individual who has problem behaviors, um, you know, you're trying to figure out, why is this person doing this behavior? And as I've said many times before on this show, The concept with problem behaviors is always you have to identify the function. And you have to figure out what is this individual otherwise trying to communicate. So now, you know, talking about individuals with autism, let's assume one problem behavior would be hitting. And why does this person hit well there 's many different scenarios, and sometimes this person will hit it is a form of it has become this individual 's communication, mm-hmm. but sometimes they 'll hit when they want an object um, and that's so that would have a tangible function mm-hmm. sometimes they 'll hit just because they want to get attention that 's an attention function sometimes they 'll hit because they want to avoid a situation, and that would be perhaps an escape function. So there's a lot of different functions of behaviors, reasons for a behavior, and unless you really know those reasons, you're not going to be able to uh, pick the right uh, type of intervention. So let's say if you hit in order to uh, gain attention, um, then I'm going the way that I would have to deal with that is to make sure I don't give you attention when you hit, okay? And uh, I give you attention instead when you don't hit. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are hitting because you want access to a tangible, it really has nothing to do with attention. It has to do with the fact that you don't have a better way to request a tangible. So my intervention would be that I need to prevent you from hitting and or make sure you don't get that object when you hit, mm-hmm. but I have to teach you a better way to request objects. Mm-hmm. So the intervention is completely different depending on the reason for the behavior. It's not like you just punish bad behavior, you know? Right. So, having said that, um, it becomes very important—two things become extremely important in ABA. One is you have to know all the different types of interventions that exist, so blocking, uh, putting a behavior on on extinction, rewarding a different type of behavior, modifying antecedents so the behavior doesn't happen, removing—I mean, there's millions, right? all of those things are in the bit builder. Mm-hmm. Now, the bit builder is, is uh, designed in such a wonderful way that what what you do is you you ask a question of you know like so you'll say okay I have a problem behavior called tantruming, mm-hmm. and then the bit builder will ask you a series of questions about it. When does it occur? What do you usually do? What types of things? And that is the Sifa, the Sifa, which is a part of the builder, which is the uh, we call it the card indirect functional analysis so it's it's called indirect because you're not really observing the behavior you're asking questions and through questions you're finding out the answers but it's a functional analysis so what you're doing is you're identifying the function by asking these questions once you identify so we've now identified that the individual is hitting because they want access to a tangible then that will automatically take you to the bit builder and it'll give you an array of options of how you can treat this And what your correct interventions should be, and you can pick and choose which ones you want to use because some are harder, some are easier, and so on. And you can have a multitude of different interventions for each behavior. It's awesome.
3: It is is awesome. It
5: really is. It's the it's the complete um, I don't know encyclopedia of how to handle any kind of behavior. It is very well done. It is very well done. Johnson Tarbox uh, did the majority of the work on the BitBuilder and the CIFA and with the uh, research group who were part of CARD before and now our Autism Research Group, ARG. Uh, Really, our hats off to them because they've done something spectacular in this field. I'm pretty certain that the BitBuilder and the CIFA and the BitBuilder, which are now one product, Will, will just take off tremendously. And this will be very helpful not only to professionals, um, but to parents, to teachers across the board. Absolutely. So, it's exciting for us, Shannon, because today is the day that we're—it's going live um, on its own as a separate product. It is part of the Skills product, obviously, because we've put thousands of things into the Skills product. There's like 25 things in Skills, but uh, we know that a lot of people— perhaps are doing uh, different types of programming with other organizations. They don't want to use our curriculum, perhaps, or whatever. They have smaller interventions. But the vast majority of people—and this is, again, I'm saying outside of autism even, any individual, developmental disabilities or not, any
3: individual with a problem behavior the bit builder is going to work. Amazing. And so, as of today, if a, if a parent is watching and their child is engaging in a challenging behavior, uh, what can they do? Um, should they recommend this to their ABA provider? Should they recommend it to their school? Uh, should they use it themselves? Absolutely. Uh, e- any
5: of those options. Okay. I mean, and I think one of the very cool things is that if you want to just purchase it one time for one behavior, you can do that. If you want to uh, use it on an ongoing basis for endless number of behaviors, you can do that. There's a lot of different, uh, you know, formats of, of licensing, purchasing, etc. But uh, I think—I mean, I, it depends on your resources, really. If you have a staff of therapists, or if you have a provider, you know, it's very important to do the right uh, BIP to do the right intervention plan. It's extremely important, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times, you know, I don't know if Jonathan talked about that or, or not. Their research did show that obviously you do a lot better intervention when you use the bit builder versus if you don't. But what's more important is, it's it's a pretty simple thing if you have a behavior that has only one function. Okay, but that never happens in real life, never, ever. So just as an example, if an individual figures out that, uh, hey, I can tantrum, and they will give me what I want, then trust me, our kids, our adults are smart enough to have figured out that tantruming is not only useful uh, to gain objects, but it's also useful when I want to get out of the classroom or when I don't want them to bother me or whatever it is. So. Behaviors tend to spread, and they have many functions. So when a behavior happens, and it has multiple functions—like, for instance, the individual gains what they want, but they also enjoy the attention they're getting from it. Mm -hmm. That's just two. It becomes almost impossible to figure out how to treat the behavior appropriately unless you separate the functions and figure out an intervention for each function. And the bit Builder does that for you. The human mind will have a much harder time doing it. When you start using this, you'll see how many questions you have to answer before you figure out, Okay. This is really
3: the reason for this behavior. And the thing that strikes me about it is that in the hands of professionals, this makes the professional more effective and more efficient at being able to deal with those challenging behaviors. But I can attest to, as a parent, it empowers me to be able to sit at the table and understand what's happening and be a voice at what's happening. Absolutely. I really think this is the keys to the kingdom. You know, if you've ever been sitting there and wondering, what are we going to do about this behavior? And right. a behavior can really kick your keister. Right. Um, this gives you the ability to work either by yourself or with a team, even mm-hmm. more empowering with a team to be able to come up with the right intervention that's, that's right. going to be efficient and effective. That's right. And I mean,
5: through our shows, just even looking at our shows, how many times have we talked about this whole concept of the function of the behavior, and that's how you—and, you know, having access to something like the BitBuilder is just awesome, because no matter what behavior comes up, you plug it in there, it asks you a bunch of questions, it identifies interventions for you, and it tells you exactly how to do them. Um, I think parents will will enjoy this. I think professionals will really benefit from it, especially if you consider the fact that, you know, due to the tremendous need we have now, um, there are people coming out of master's programs, board certified, and uh, not a lot of experience, mm-hmm. and um, so this is very, very helpful to the, to the new clinician, mm-hmm. let's put it that way, to the young clinician, because it will really cover all bases.
3: And you had mentioned before that it's not just for people with autism, it's for any behaviors, and I think in the in the in the hands of teachers, uh, you know, we tend to talk about the big behaviors, the big challenging behaviors, but even a small behavior, if you're wanting to change something, and the teacher who says, I really wish that this child who is or is not on the spectrum, I wish I could get them to do X, Y, or Z or stop doing X, Y, or Z, this could be very effective at changing those behaviors. That's
5: right, that's right. Amazing. And, and what's important for teachers I mean, I can imagine that teachers, they have very, very limited resources, and they are the ones that are supposed to handle all their kids and the behaviors and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, as a teacher, it's very understandable if, after a few weeks, months, whatever, um, you start to get frustrated about these things and that's why I really love the, the uh, uh, indirect functional assessment because it really will ask you a lot of questions and it'll really help the teacher format and decide okay these are the ways that I should go and this is why this is happening before you hit that frustration
3: level really so really I,
5: cool. I really do recommend it it's a spectacular product so I'm excited it's coming out
3: today yeah yeah and so we encourage all of you to check it out and if you have questions about it you can continue to write those in because we'll be talking about this we're gonna take another break and come back and have Dr. Dorian Grampuche answer some more of your questions. Stick with us.
7: Hi guys, welcome back to Smarty. It's January and a whole new year has gone by. To commemorate that Autism Live and Smarty have decided to give you a template to make your very own time capsule. The materials you'll be needing are glue, a jar, photos, Keepsakes, pen, and a template you can print from Facebook.com slash Here's the template that I have printed out from our Facebook page. Depending on the skill of your child, they can do this independently, or you're going to help them fill out all the questions. Once you have finished filling out the time capsule sheet, I've left two spaces on the top. One for a school photo, one for a family photo. Feel free to glue an image there. Now that I've glued the photos onto my sheet, now I'm going to grab my jar and start filling it up with all the things I would want to remember from the year that just passed. I would say include photos, mementos, toys, things that are going to be really important to you at this time and moment that you'll be excited to see later in the future. Once you're done filling up your jar with all the things that were important to you for the year 2013, you're gonna to wanna to seal it up. And it's up to you for how long you wanna keep it locked up. Time capsules are a great way to remember where you have been and where you're going. So I hope you really enjoy this activity, and until next time, crapped on, guys.
2: Can you see me flying by
3: your side? Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampuche, and she is answering your questions live. If you have a question for her, we still have a little bit of time, and I've got a lot of questions uh, in the queue, but you can write in your question on the live feature at www.autism-live. The questions we don't get to, we recycle for the following week, so we do get to them eventually. Um, but let's start out with um, talking about schools, because this is a subject very near and dear to my heart right now. We're looking at schools for my son, and I have noticed that it's really hard to get information about whether a school will be autism-friendly, and uh, oh, yes. so I want to know this, too. Somebody wants to know, if you're moving to another state, how can you find out about autism schools? How are they rated? Is there a rating? I think we could all use that information.
5: That's actually so cool that somebody asked that, and uh, I had not thought about this answer, but now I can give this answer. Okay. So, first of all, no, there isn't a rating. I'm not sure what what you're looking for when you say autism school, because, um, of course, there are schools that actually don't know that there are too many left. There are a few, couple, that are just pure special ed schools. And then there are, of course, classrooms that are for autism. Mm-hmm. Um, there are—the most prevalent, I would say, right now is regular schools that have autism classrooms within them. or a non-categorical classroom, so mixed special educational mm-hmm. disabilities. Um, or, of course, then there are other levels, like regular education with, um, let's say, uh, assistance for right. a child, or the child might be in a regular education class and then reverse mainstream or mainstream. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, all sorts of educational differences. Uh, you know, obviously, for you, when you're looking at a school—let's say for JEM, you'd be looking for a regular school that has—that is friendly towards kids that might have slight differences and need a little bit more assistance. You're looking at more regular ed school that will give you accommodation, that yeah. type of thing. Now, no, there is no rating system. And it's very, very hard, I think, for parents, especially when they're moving. So this is one of the things that we I had thought about, and I've mentioned this to you before, is that. You know, we're very lucky at CARD, because we're in so many different states, and we have a lot of local um, information. Mm-hmm. And so, if we are at a, like, and Evelyn Kong, our clinical director, always retains this stuff in her head. I don't know how she does that. <laughs> but, like, someone will call us, one of the parents, and we'll have an experience with the school, and we'll start going into their program and learning about them, and training teachers and assisting and stuff, and learning, oh, this is great, this is a great school. And we keep that, and then other parents who are in the area, in the future, when they start asking us, we know, oh, yes, in the Irvine area, we know this and the whatever, you know? Right. But we've never really been able to, like, put it down and rate them and be able to classify them until now. And so, I don't know if you know—if you remember all of last year, I kept telling you that I really want to do this sort of DGs list, which yes. will be an Angie's list version of autism. So. A young lady that we brought on at Card um, has started to develop this for us, and um, it will be coming out very soon. I'm not really supposed to talk all about it in detail, but for later on. Yeah, but one of the things that it will do is rate schools, rate providers, rate.
3: everything which we'll so, look forward to because that's an area where we we could use some support we want that insider information about how does this work how would I you know what questions would I ask that right, kind of absolutely
5: thing. and but free for now I would suggest that the best resource is uh, local parents groups okay and uh, getting in touch with other families because that's where we get a lot of our attention uh, information absolutely. on these things as well
3: and I always advocate uh, for all parents have a, a local support group and a global support group that you feel really comfortable and there's right. so many of them now whether it's a taka group so true uh, or you can go on cafe mom or there are Yahoo groups there are Facebook groups and it really is a lifesaver to be able to go to those groups and ask questions um, of you know who's the who's the pediatrician to go to or right. who's the person who cuts hair right. who's gonna understand that my child doesn't like the snip snip sound it's or so doesn't true. like the buzz buzz sound you know because different it? kids so you Where know knowing those kinds of things and it's you know really really helpful to know those things okay um, somebody says just got out of a meeting and just want to say welcome back we missed you we missed you too thrilled that you're back with us uh, okay another person who says our autistic son wakes up every night between 3 and 4 a.m. oh joy right yeah. uh, we've tried melatonin and Benadryl with poor results what can we do to resolve <laughs> this problem
5: right so you know that I'm a big uh, fan of a particular um, company um, their product is called Tranquil Sleep, and it is melatonin. It's a combination of melatonin and 5-HTP tryptophan, and melatonin doesn't work for me or uh, my kids. Um, this product works. It's, it works for pretty much anyone I've ever told. Mm-hmm. So um, I really recommend it. It's a chewable product. It's, uh, one tablet is three milligrams of melatonin. I'm not sure how much tryptophan. But it works really, really well. Yeah. So I would move to that. If that doesn't work, um, then I would really go see your pediatrician and okay. get something that's a little bit stronger.
3: Okay, great. Um, uh, another person who wants to know: Hi, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. My son started with Card in October. He's three years and two months. Can I, Shannon, yes. I'm
5: just like stuck on the previous answer. Okay. I'm just thinking about it a little bit more but I mean that's one quick solution but you know from a behaviorist perspective you really should also be looking at what's going on around so yeah. Make sure there's no noise that suddenly wakes him up. Like, yeah. sometimes we're not aware of this, but like, hey, two or three is when the sprinklers go on.
3: I don't know. Or the next and, door neighbor who works the night shift exactly, comes home then, and exactly. that's when their car alarm chirps. Exactly.
5: Like, our kids have such sensitive hearing yeah. that we don't really realize these things. Yeah. And, and also, even if there isn't an identifiable antecedent, sometimes it just becomes a, a, a pattern of behavior, a habit. Especially if you wake up, and when you wake up, you go out and eat. Mm-hmm. It'll just become an automatic behavior that you're gonna wake up every night. Yeah, at that your time. body
3: will wake you up. It's go. just that's that
5: when simple. we eat. That's right. <laughs> so you make sure that you want to make sure that the room is very dark. Um, that your child is, you know, going to bed approximately the same time, has the same type of routine. Make sure that it's quiet. Um, And then, you know, perhaps spend the night in the room without the child knowing, and see if there's uh, anything else, or record. Yeah, I was going to say, how about a
3: video camera? Set up the video camera just so that you can rewind and see what What happened. happened. And obviously you'd want to do it more than once so that you could see if there's a pattern of something going on. That's exactly right. And that
5: would be the best way to figure out what's actually going on. And modify what's actually going on if you've done all of that or if you do all of that and, and you know you also want to make sure like diet will often affect our kids um, those types of things so just uh, take a look and see or, or perhaps your child's going to bed too early I don't know yeah. there's so many different things you have to look at but you know you're turning to a different type of melatonin is probably your last option.
3: And you know the one thing that I would say as a parent because we once my son would go to sleep we never had a problem but getting him to go to sleep was our biggest first problem to overcome. And and I talk about it now and say, you know, here's the problem was that I was so tired mm-hmm. that my IQ was low. Oh gosh, I, get I was it. so tired. And so I couldn't sort like if you had said to me, you know, set up a video camera and tape it, I I wouldn't have been able to get it on the tripod Um, so you know and we got some help and I would encourage you if you have a best girlfriend or a family member who can come and stay with you a couple of nights so that you can get a couple of hours of sleep so that you'll be able to attack the problem with you having gotten a little sleep it will be much easier that's right it's so difficult I mean gosh I remember when
5: my kids were little and I wouldn't sleep, and if it was, like, weeks and weeks of not sleeping, at the end of two weeks, you're not doing anything functional. You're pleading with your
3: baby. Please, <laughs> exactly. Please, please, leave. Well, you, you, you cease being rational is the problem. And so when yeah. some, something that would make perfect sense to you when you were slept is completely not in your head. Totally, totally um, yeah, Which makes right. it that much harder. Right. The fact that you could write the sentence into yeah. us, I applaud you. You're doing much better than I would have been. Uh, but anyway, okay, so on to the next one. Mm -hmm. Uh, My son started with CARD in October, he's three years and two months. We started potty training him and it's over a month and a half and still not potty trained. Is that normal?
5: Yeah, it's normal. It's I wouldn't worry about it, but I want to—you'd want to make sure that, uh, you know, you're putting enough energy into it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, three is pretty—is good age, great age. I don't know enough about this, your case. I don't know. How many hours are you getting with CARD? What other things are going on? Are you doing an intensive program? Um, is the child— You know, do we have access to the child pretty intensively? If we do, then this should be going pretty fast. If we don't, and there's, like, school in the picture or other activities or whatever, and we're only doing, like, 10 or 15 hours, then, yeah, things are going to slow down. So I don't know at this point how to answer you correctly, um, other than saying, don't worry. I mean, one and a half months, two months is not a really big deal. Plus, you went through the holidays right now. So, what I would suggest, though, in order to give you some reassurance, is to ask your supervisor to um, uh, schedule a, a review. Mm-hmm. Um, see, we have this system at CART, and a lot of parents don't take advantage of this, where, as I wish they would. Uh, We—normally, we have case reviews going on. We have senior staff who review cases all the time. So. It's not just Evelyn Kung, who is the clinical director, but she now—you know, we have many, many senior supervisors. Sienna Greener Wooten does this. All of our, um, or you know, Kat Minch, as you know, Dr. Kat Minch on the East Coast does this. Um, Vince Redmond, who's mm-hmm. been with CARD for ages, will connect with the families and just review things and answer their questions. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire IBT team, so Cecilia Knight and Monique Valario and Or Erickson now, and Jen Close, and all of our senior, senior people who've been around for a long time, that's what they do. They will um, review problem situations or things where the parent just wants reassurance from someone who's been around a little bit longer. Fresh eyes. Fresh eyes and, you know, kind of senior eyes. Yes. And they will take a look at the case and they will discuss it with you. They'll get on the phone, they'll get on Skype, and they'll look at a clinic for you. They'll talk to your supervisor, they'll review the skills account with you and tell you what's going on or what should be done slightly different or whatever it is. And you can access that any time. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I'm hoping to do in 2014, good God, good God <laughs> I was about to say 2004, and I suddenly realized, no, wait a minute, it's 2014. Out of 10. Uh, is that I would—I um, am trying to actually make this a more kind of structured thing, because I realize that some families use this a lot. And other families really don't, and mm-hmm. they may not even be aware of it, even though it's in the parent handbook and all that. So what I really am trying to do now is I'm trying to just produce some, some sort of algorithm mm-hmm. that says, you know what, just like we do assessments annually, yeah. like we will test our kids annually, um, I'm just going to make it so that every family has access to senior staff on a regular basis, yeah. and that th- th- these reviews occur just you know uh, routinely.
3: Yeah, one of the one of the things that I'm always struck by uh, by people at Center for Autism and Related Disorders is that it's never when something isn't progressing as fast as we had thought or as as, as fast as we had hoped that it is never the child's fault. Never. It no, is no, never, never ever, and that never even occurs to anybody as a parent. We're like you know why isn't my child learning? And and what I always hear from staff. here here is that it's not the child's fault we're just gonna figure out how we need to reconfigure what we're doing so that it does work and we right. know that it will right it's just a matter of each child is an individual and you know we might need to go at it this way with this right. child for this many weeks and this way for this child so right. take heart in the fact that you, you know you're at the right place where nothing is wrong with your child and it you know a month and a half I know, as a parent, it seems like forever. It's a blip once your child gets it.
5: Absolutely. And it's, you know, the duration of time, a month and a half or two months, whatever it is, if you're focusing on something and you're doing it, let's say, four hours a day, then, no, it shouldn't be a month and a half. Mm -hmm. But if you're just touching on it, like, in other words, if you're just trying to, like, guide the child to the bathroom and so on, that's not going to work either. So it's a matter of giving it the right attention. Yeah. You know, as we're talking about this, I just had the idea that there's so many really senior specialists here at CAR that it would be kind of cool if we did some sort of, you know, there's—I can't imagine that any behavior would ever stump us, anything would ever stump us if all of us got together. It would be kind of— interesting um, to set up some system where people could throw their
3: problems at us. The dream team.
5: Yeah, just have people throw their problems at us, because I'm pretty sure we'd be able to figure it all out. Yeah,
3: absolutely, that's very exciting to me. Uh, I know I was so excited when I, you know, because I used to come to this building as a parent and go to clinics, and then when I came here to work, I always said it was like getting to go underground at Disneyland and see all the different things, that the way things work, and I, on your behalf, I, I have access to everyone here so if you write it and have a question oh yeah I absolutely. you know I get to go and say who's the person to talk about right, this and they right. say oh you know who's really good at working with older kids yes. go and talk to Sarah Cho about right, that right. and I get to go and ask her right, right. and and I get to learn while I'm finding out for right. you guys it's it really is having access to the dream team and I think everybody would love that
5: that's pretty really cool yeah we've think of a way cool. to do that Maybe all right a
3: show. yes yeah. a panel <gasps> <Yeah>. <gasps> now I'm excited okay <laughs> uh, somebody else wants to know how do I make my child sit in a circle. Time at school. Oh, that's not too difficult.
5: I mean, you you have to identify what's uh, reinforcing or rewarding for your child, obviously. So, you probably what I would do is first of all, I'd make sure that the situation is not unpleasant.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: So, uh, and then I would do a gradual shaping of the behavior. So I would have my child sit in the circle, and then for maybe—let's assume circle time is five minutes. I would probably start with, uh, I don't know, 15 seconds, Mm -hmm. and then I would reinforce the child. and I would make that gradually 25 seconds, you know, 30 seconds, one minute. I would reward that. And so, this might take several days, uh, but essentially, you're just very, very gradually increasing the schedule yeah. and reinforcing good sitting mm-hmm. behavior. And at the same time, you want to make sure that what's going on at circle time is interesting yeah. enough and that the child is able to receive uh, intermittent reinforcers. So. As you start to approach, like, you know, one and a half minutes of sitting, I'd throw in a reinforcer at one minute, every one minute. A slightly milder one, for instance, you could have the child. Um, give themselves, or you could stand—have the child sit in the circle, and you're standing in the corner of the room, and you just draw a smiley face and show it to the child, and every minute you do that, and once they have five, you let the child get up and go play. So there's a variety of ways to do that, and, you know, that would be just one suggestion of how to do it, but behavior, good behaviors could give you multitude
3: of different ways that that could work. And I would also say, you know, take heart. My child was one of those kids who, when we first, uh, before we started ABA, there was a little, um, you know, group that he could go to, and they tried to get him to sit in the circle, and the kids would sing songs and do all the little gestures to the song, and he would act like he was being peeled. Yeah. And, um, you know, and. And week after week, in, in that group, he would just scream. And yeah. they piled on yeah. a vest and a blanket and a therapy chair and all this stuff instead of dealing with the issue. Yeah. And very quickly, and I what began it, to think... was it, sound, or what was it? You know, to this day, I'm sure it was just like 35,000 different things. Yeah. And he was with kids who were stimming, yeah. and it was overwhelming to him. The first time we saw him sit in the circle was during spring break when one of the other kid's older sibling came and sat next to him and was very peaceful and quiet. Yeah. And then he Sat there and and listened and and did things. It gave us hope, but it wasn't until we started getting ABA that very quickly mm-hmm. it turned around and my child was able. To, you know, I, I would watch the videos of kids sitting at a table and go, "Yeah," as if my child's going to do that, but he did. And so, take heart, your child very, will very too. Easy.
5: Yeah, and and this is it's really important what you said, Shannon, because obviously for different children it's going to be different reasons. Most of the time, I find for our kids, it's either because they're completely bored, they don't know what this is about and why they're supposed to sit there, or there's something going on around them that's disturbing. Mm-hmm. So, whether it's sound, lights, uh, other kids just being too close, you know, so something's disturbing—or, like in maybe James' case, he was modeling, actually. Who knows? I, I, I mean, bet. if all the other kids are running around, then that's what he thinks he has to do, too. Yeah. So, you have to identify all of that. And it's it's a very—that's it, an easy one. Like, a lot of—I don't know any of our kids that don't— actually learn very quickly to sit at circle time. Uh-huh. But the point is, you know, the whole the engagement during circle time is important. Yeah. Once they're sitting, are they actually able to understand what's going on around them,
3: pay yeah. attention and so on. And having realistic expectations too. I think right. a lot of times what we find is that the expectation is for a 3-year-old to sit in circle time for 20 minutes and yeah, have that's a book kind read of crazy, to them, which right? is yes, it's on the the
5: Well, especially I mean normally it would be fine because listening to the book might be rewarding for some kids, but not for our kids, because yeah. they're not even able, able to pay attention to that.
3: Yeah. Um, and I will tell you that my kid who couldn't sit there, that's one of his strengths now, is that we, we took him to a lot of theater and things like that, and people always comment on the fact that he he'll sit in an assembly and listen, uh, you know, he, they'll, they'll show a movie. He's the kid who can sit there and watch right, and attend. Right, right. It's, you know, high hilarity at our house now about that. We got, I want to squeeze in one more question, and sure. then we've got to go. But um, we've had a lot of questions questions about the extended core curriculum with special ed, and one parent in particular who says, I'm, I'm really wanting my child to go to college, but I don't know if he'll be able to do it with this new extended core curriculum, and they want to know your opinion, if you've had any opportunity to look at the special ed core curriculum. I have not yet looked no, at the core curriculum either. with special ed. No, I haven't
5: either. I haven't either, but, you know, my, I have a different perspective on that and that I'm not sure that schools, as it is, uh, prepare our kids for college to begin with. I find that, with my own children, uh, the school really de- depends very much on um, what I'm going to teach my children and not necessarily what they're teaching them. And I also find that it goes beyond—going the- to college varies also. I mean, you know, you could go to a junior college or you could go to, a, you know, um, Ivy League. It varies yeah. quite a bit. So I'm I don't I've never I guess depended too much on what's in the core curriculum to begin with yeah. because I I have just had the experience on, my oldest is in college now but I've always had the experience that I've needed to sort of uh, enhance it myself anyway.
3: Absolutely. And I think we all, whether our children are on the spectrum or not, we have a responsibility. The core curriculum is there to make it level and even, that this or is what of, everybody's responsible yes, for. Yes, as the minimum. Right. But thing. we, as parents, are responsible for ever so much more than that. Right. So, thank and, you and for these reminding
5: days, us that. And these days, we're so blessed that there's so much on online. Yes. You know, I mean, uh, some if you have a child who's interested in going, some of my kids who are above above level on various areas they'll go to the Khan Academy online and they'll yeah. start
3: practicing various things that will help them tremendously so there's a lot of different ways to do this as well we actually I did a blog after I interviewed Temple Grandin um, she had made a list of mm-hmm. all these okay. online free classes that my son could take that had to do with math and science oh, and awesome. we, we wrote it into a blog and so you can there's a series on it's called talking with Temple and I it might be the the fifth one in that lists Great. all the things that's awesome. THE TEMPLE um, SAID, and, AND THEY'RE FREE. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, if you do the free, you don't get the college credit for it, but uh, you know, motivate a child and it's help them help. in their yeah, ne- yeah absolutely. absolutely, really remarkable. Thank you so much for being Pleasure. here. So well, excited it to talk, back. and you'll be back next week, yes. and we'll ha- we'll be answering more questions in real time with Dr. Dorian Grandpage. We are going to take a break and take a look at the A word. I believe we're starting at the very beginning of the series again with uh, episode number one. When we come back, Nancy Allspaw Jackson will be here for let's. Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, our very special guest today, Andrew Duff, a young man who, in his words, had autism and got better. Believe me, you're not going to want to go anyplace else, so stick with us. Wow.
4: Sand. Does that feel funny in your hands? Do you want to go swing? Jack Riley. Good looking, thank you. I accept that he has sensory issues. I completely accept that he has speech delays. All of the symptoms and the things that lead up to the word autism, I have no problem accepting that. I have no problem um, addressing that and being aggressive about it and making those things happen. It's the word itself that I have a hard time with, um, mostly because of my perception. and, And I imagine the perception of a lot of people that autism is Man.
8: I don't have my maple syrup, either. I'm going to be without my maple syrup and my, and my toothpicks.
4: It's um, all these images that you see, you know, even when they put a child on on TV, it's a child who's so severe and doesn't hug his parents and and because our, our son does that, it's just hard for me to to make that leap. Um, and logically I get it, it's a big spectrum and it's just a, a personal thing, but it's hard for. Me to say the word because you don't, you don't want
0: to have, you don't want to admit anything that It so
4: makes bad it, it kid. makes it real to say the word. We knew it even before to a certain extent, um, you know, he would line up cars and, and. I'd walk on the knuckles of his toes a lot. I mean, I remember even having conversations saying like, I'm sure he walks on the knuckles of his toes, I'm sure he lines up his, to- his toys. Yeah,
0: the more times you say, oh sure, then you <laughs> find, eventually he, you've got to. He spins. Draw a circle around those and say, okay, what does that add up to?
4: So we we always noticed that. We He didn't point. He never never pointed, pointed, although we didn't realize that until we went through this process. If our pediatrician had asked us, you know, eight, nine months ago, does your son point, we would have known a lot right then. We decided last fall to get Jack Riley tested for speech delay we noticed that he wasn't saying a lot. He didn't say mommy, he didn't say daddy. He was a little different when we would take him out in public. So we contacted the regional center to get him evaluated for speech delay in my mind. And that was the worst I thought it would be. So when they told us autism, I think that word was far worse than we ever expected. Yeah, I
0: I remember I kicked the garbage can when we were outside. (laughs) My foot hurt. I remember that, and uh, that wasn't a very good day.
7: How, how were they with letting you know that was the diagnosis?
4: I guess in my recollection, and this is uh, me projecting quite a bit, but uh, they were, they pitied us.
0: Yeah, it was, it was uh, uncomfortable. Um, and they they're talking sort of like I was 12 years old or something like that. Who knows how to deal with that kind of stuff? I mean, even if you're a professional and that's what you do all the time, I don't know, you don't know the people you're telling very well.
6: There was a lot of the head
4: shaking, and you know he's still the same beautiful child that you came here with. But yet they're sitting there like they're they just giving us a death sentence.
0: Yeah, it's, all, it's almost like they just told us he had cancer or something.
4: So I don't, I, I don't know if I'm reading that in, or I, I don't think that I like them that much. <laughs> I still don't think I do. And we didn't love that process either. They, we, they brought him in there and, and gave him forty-five new toys and said he's more interested in the toys than he is in us. We thought, we, thought that we, he never met. we thought what
0: kid wouldn't be. But um,
4: but then in retrospect, in the hour and a half, two hours that he was there, he never once showed us one of the toys. He didn't come to us to engage us in any of it. And actually they did us a favor because we would have fought it. I mean, just in our heads, we would have fought the autism diagnosis. We, didn't, we wouldn't have. If, had they told us that he's fine, we would have left and got him speech therapy, and that's, that would have that's been it. probably it, yeah. yeah. We're, we're pretty numb about all of this. I mean, it, it, we found out November 2nd, it's four months. It's also kind of a morning period, so I think we went we went very numb for a while. Yeah. Uh, but we're coming out of that now, too, where we're starting to, you know, click so that there are things that we can do. I mean, I think for the, the unfortunate part for a while was that we were both thinking, um, come and help us, everybody, please, mm-hmm. you know, we have this thing that we don't know how to deal with it and, you know, time to ticket, come and help us tell us and, and now we're just kinda do it ourselves and, and we're the ones who know him best and you know, we can take all this information that people tell us and then we can adapt it to what we know will work for him and and he's he's already responding. It's no. it's slow
0: but I, I personally forgot forgot for a while to enjoy him. I just took care of him Absolutely. all day and uh, I wasn't having fun. Now I I'm back to just how cute he is and how incredible, that little thing he just did, is and that smile, and that, the joy he gets out of one simple little thing, and, uh, but for a while there, I forgot to do that, I just was getting through the day, um, maybe you didn't want to notice, maybe I didn't want to notice things, because a lot of them point to the, the A word, autism, again. There's no one to talk to about it, because even when you bring up the idea that's possible, your, your family members no, he's fine, they wanna help you say no and deny it. He seems fine, It's just, you know, my son didn't talk till he was three and a half. Yeah, a lot of people, that's, that's so, part of why we didn't even have him evaluated until we did,
4: because a lot of people would tell us that. You know,
0: and everyone tells me their son didn't speak till he was three and a half, and wasn't potty trained till he was four, and and uh, so, you know, my kid, and normal, well, he's easy to deny it, but we're not denying it anymore.
4: I ordered a pair of earrings and they were puzzle pieces because my son liked puzzles and I thought, this is in honor of my son, I'll wear these earrings They had the right colors and I thought, this is great. And we were probably two, two days away from going to this diagnosis and I'd done enough research to know what they might say. And it occurred to me that puzzle pieces were symbolic of autism. And I was like, i have to send them back, i <laughs> oh, This is terrible, I can't believe I've ordered autism earrings. And didn't wear them for months. Uh, they sat there, I looked at them every day, and I thought, I'm going to put these earrings in today and, and accept it and move forward, and couldn't do it, couldn't do it, that I can't wear them to OT because they'll think I'm just wearing autism earrings to, so, you know, make a statement. And I finally started wearing them probably, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. So I guess that means I'm getting used to the idea.
0: I see it in adults now. Uh, I'm very conscious of it. Maybe it helps to just think everybody has it a little bit. We were getting Jack a haircut a few weeks ago. We we still say the A word instead of autism. I'll say A word, Joe A word. And well, that was for real though. That, that was wasn't. that was real. This well this 15 year old kid walks in and Toy Story three is on and there's little kids getting their hair cut sitting on chairs and animals and whatever. And he starts talking out loud to whoever would listen, the, saying how much money Toy Story three had made and and it's the largest grossing. In history and blah 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 and then he goes okay I'll see you guys later and he walked out and I go hey, Word and she goes oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah so at least we're at uh, we got a little sense of humor about that
4: are you watching daddy dance <laughs>
3: Welcome! It's 2014, and we're here for Let's Talk Autism (laughs) with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspot-Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod, and I'm so thrilled to be here and to be here with you. I am, too. I've been away, and you've been away. Yes, but we
9: saw each other over the holidays. We did, a
3: couple of different times. we had
9: a really wonderful thing happen. Um, Our boys who had met before, briefly and Wyatt, briefly, Mm -hmm. um, we had, like, three play dates with them, and they really Hit
3: it off. Yes. Now let's be honest, We're, I was nervous. Were uh, you nervous? Oh, I
9: was very nervous. I was like, Jim's going to come over here, and I know he's very good with science and video games, and Wyatt is not as great with that stuff. And I thought maybe they just won't relate on anything. But it was sort of like it just, I let go of it, and it yeah. it worked out for itself. Now, we did have a uh, therapist there yes. to
3: facilitate. I was going to say, we set ourselves up for success, which yes. I think was smart on our was part. was smart.
9: But I honestly think, well, after the therapist left, they continued to play beautifully. Yes,
3: they did wonderfully. Yeah. So, uh, and they are, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can say that Jem is very enamored of Wyatt. Oh, uh, Wyatt that, is Jem like is, is my best friend. And Jem and, and keeps saying, I want Wyatt to be my best friend. <laughs> and um, and so how lovely is that? And you would think, great. how long have we been doing this that this would have happened before? Yeah. But I think there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, I was. I was nervous. I was like, what if he doesn't like I him? was nervous, what too. What if Jem is a pain in the neck? Yeah. Yeah. What a, you know? Um, and yet, here's this wonderful thing. And it worked so, out great. So
9: we're going to keep doing it. Yes. And uh, maybe there's sense. somebody in your life that you think, well, and especially if you haven't revisited somebody, like yeah. I... No, know, there was a family that had a child that was much lower functioning than Wyatt, and I was afraid of him picking up some behaviors, and it broke my heart, but I was very honest with the mom. I said, you know, unfortunately, when Wyatt was with him, is with him, he does some of the things that we're trying to get him out of. And she yeah. understood, yeah. rather than just not tell her why we weren't saying yes yeah. to things. Yeah. And we would always invite him to parties, and we would always... And I've been on the receiving end of that, you know, yeah. feeling like your child's not as high functioning as their child, and maybe it's not good. So, um, but lately we revisited that family and that child because Wyatt missed him Uh and we had them over. And let me tell you, they worked very well together. Yeah. So, sometimes you have to revisit things yes. and, and open up your mind to something you wouldn't necessarily think of. It may be right in front of you yeah. that's really going to benefit your child. Maybe it's even an old activity, yeah. like Wyatt's been talking about going back to gymnastics, you oh, know, he used oh, to go, go to. And he's talking about going back to this theater group he did. Yeah. And sometimes I think we have to give it a little break and then try it again.
3: Absolutely. But it was it was so wonderful, and it gave us a chance to, to catch up. Yeah. Oh, wow. And and uh, at, w- at one point we were saying, you know, it was almost, uh, you know, I know I can be very ADD and it was like, let's talk about this and then let's we'll talk about this and then we'll come
9: back to this. Uh, but it was very exciting. We were planning the whole year of let's talk autism <laughs>
3: and, you know, conquering the world. Yes, conquering the world. Absolutely. So it was really remarkable. And, and in terms of holidays, uh, you know, it was a nice break. But, uh, and this is something that we're going to be talking about more, this idea. I know a lot of you had this happen as well. The well-intentioned relatives mm-hmm. weighing in on things. Um, you know, people that you want to be kind and gentle with, but that aren't necessarily being helpful to you in the moment. Yes, and I had a situation, and I'm very, um, you know,
9: I'm so transparent about everything, (laughs) you know, telling my whole life story within five minutes of meeting somebody. But... um, Uh, My brother, um, who I love very dearly, he's my only surviving member of my, you know, my mother and father passed away. My younger brother with Down syndrome passed away in 1994. And my brother was always my rock and my stronghold. He's two years older than me, and I love him dearly, my brother John. And uh, he and his wife came over for Christmas dinner, and, you know, we had recently had the dog pass away. And one of the things Wyatt does is he perseverates on... A situation wherever there is change, and especially loss. We had a really huff, tough time with him when my father passed away two years ago, my mother three years ago. So we had worked through this whole thing, which we talked about on the show. Yes. And you know, the plan is when they bring it up, you acknowledge it quickly, but move on. Yes. You know,
3: so they don't get a chance and to get, go down that hole yeah, where they can't get, get out of it. Yeah. yeah.
9: And the other thing is that we had done is we had gotten new dogs when our former pets passed away. Well, yeah. we decided we cannot do that now. We can right. only have. We don't have the bandwidth for more than right. two dogs. We, so, he said, "Can I get a new BG?" And we were like, "No." Well, he started to go off on that and cry. And so my brother, being well-meaning, was like, "It's okay to cry. Of course you can get a new BG. Let's talk about BG." And <laughs> right. we we're like. Yeah, ixnay on the new dog. Yeah, let's let's not go down <laughs> yeah. there. And he just keeps going and yeah. going and yeah. going. And finally, my husband said, do, what do I have to do? Slap you to get you out of yeah. the space and listen to how we know how to do this yeah. and how we choose. And then my brother went off. Not everything you do is right. right. You know, right. in fact, you're controlling, da, da, da. You don't let him be. And... Mm. Before he had come to visit, he had been reading a lot of articles on autism and different things. And so I lost control and I started screaming at my brother and his wife. So, saying, what you're telling me is it you? was the
3: perfect holiday. It was the perfect Christmas. <laughs> it's the perfect
9: it was the perfect holiday. It was perfect Christmas. <laughs> and at we can all relate. It, We've all been at there. At the end of that ice cream, what are you, the, with an expletive in front of it, suddenly you're the autism whisperer yeah, right. after 12 years of this? <laughs> right. When you've never offered to babysit him and right. you've never offered to be there to learn the therapy? So... <laughs> tearful endings, but thank God, come back in, apologies. Love you, love you, didn't yes. mean this. Yes. Yeah. But it brought up to me and I called you and I said this was awful and have you ever had it. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> we, we are all? not alone.
3: Have we all? You said you had just a horrific incident with your sister. Absolutely, and I've had other family members as, as well—people yeah. who are well-intentioned and mean well, and think that they're going to help you and that that's how they're going to support you. Because let's remember, people think that they have to do something. Right. If you know, if you have a problem, I have to do something. Right. I can't I have just to fix leave it. you. I can't just leave you to have that because then I'm uncomfortable. Right. Right? And so people mean well, but a lot of times what we could all learn is to just be there and say, to I'm, be there. I'm, I'm sorry that you're going through right. this. What do you
9: need? What do you need? And ask yeah. them, you know, that's what we try to live by at ACT Today as a mm-hmm. foundation. What yes. does the family need? Yes. Not not what people say you need, because right. what do you need for your child? And I'd love to know from our viewers, if they're listening today, if, if you were, of course, we're hoping they're listening and viewing. Um, <laughs> I'd love to know if you have thoughts on this. What would be the most supportive thing a relative could do for you? with your child's autism, yeah, what would be the best thing they could do for you? And and I mean, think of a wide range of possibilities. The best thing might be, you know, for me right now is giving me a certificate for a massage somewhere.
3: Right. Um, and I remember asking for a gift card for gas because to right. get to all the therapies yeah. wasn't in our budget. Exactly. So I'd love to make a list of all those things, and then that would give other people ideas. Yeah, and of, you could oh, say, I could ask for that.
9: We could even have that, like put it on a little card. And- say, you know, want to know how you can help me? Here's what you can do.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So be thinking about that. Now, we've got a really great guest that we're going to have in just a few minutes, but I wanted to touch just briefly, um, and and we're talking about Andrew Duff is going to be with us in a few minutes via Skype, a really amazing young man with a voice uh, who was diagnosed with autism, and in his words, he got better. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking with him, but first we want to, there were a couple of controversies that happened uh, since we've been gone. Uh, We're going to to talk a little bit about Jenny McCarthy and some of the things that have been on social networking a Mm -hmm. little bit later on in the show, but I I think it kind of doves tales well into having Andrew on that um, there was quite a bit of controversy that happened around the site, The Thinking Person's Guide to Autism. Mm -hmm. And we're calling this entire month blog A-Rama, A-U-Rama, because we're gonna be talking to bloggers and talking about bloggers, and this really fits in quite well because it was sort of like a blog autism explosion that happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, If you go to Thinking Person's Guide to Autism ever, it's a really interesting site, it's Mm -hmm. a great resource. There is a book, Thinking Person's Guide to Autism. We've had some of the different people from that site on the show before Mm -hmm. they put articles and people can comment and um, they have in the past had I'm not sure at this point in time whether they still do but they had moderators who were individuals who are on the spectrum and that are adults and that chime in and of course parents chime in as well too and what we know is that a lot of times when you have individuals who are on the spectrum and parents who have kids on the spectrum we don't always see eye to eye on subjects we have different needs Uh, we have different Things that we're concerned with, Mm -hmm. and it can get ugly sometimes. And uh, apparently, uh, right around the new year, it got a little ugly between uh, an individual who's on the spectrum and a parent who Mm -hmm. is a blogger, Mm -hmm. somebody that we've had on the show, Mm -hmm. um, who was talking about the benefits of ABA. And uh, this Young person on the spectrum shared their opinion that ABA, in her opinion, based on what happened to her mm-hmm. when she had ABA, which again, you know, it ABA has evolved
9: greatly and probably and the and time everybody she who says it.
3: they're doing ABA isn't necessarily doing ABA, right? Um, but she had a terrible time mm-hmm. with ABA where they were using aversives, aversives which we know do yeah. not. That is not a part of ABA anymore, Um, but she was saying it's a terrible thing, and it was sort of a black and white carte blanche, it's terrible, Mm -hmm. and the parent was gently trying to say, you know, I'm sorry that that was your experience, Mm -hmm. but it's really helped us, and it kind of descended, and some other people chimed chimed in, and it went really bad. It It went went south. south,
9: and you know, I don't know, once again, it reminds me of the whole hoopla uh, with the Autism Speaks, with John Robeson elders yes. um, stepping down and, you know, and then all, everybody coming up, you know, the self-advocacy movement against the, you yes. know, aut- and, and some nasty things were said. And and people and, saying,
3: let's boycott. Right. I mean, and,
9: and that's boycott, what happened boy, this you know, Yeah, it's, this it's, is too. like... It, I so wish for our communities—and it's a vast community—but I so wish that we could have the kind of thoughtful restraint and then conversation and debate, rather than looking like a bunch of crazy Republicans. (laughs) <laughs> no, but, like the tea Party people, you know like yeah. it's just as like in some states you see these people and you go, do you, do they realize the harm they're doing because yeah. we don't come together, and i no. my position is that. This is going to continue to hurt us in making advances. Yes. It, you know, we've got to acknowledge a spectrum disorder. Brilliance exists, talent exists. We love it. We, it's nothing about hate. It's about helping those who have children that need help and getting yes. laws passed and getting a culture that accepts that and accepts the ones that are gifted and high functioning, but maybe act different than you right. or I. Well and I agree
3: and I think when, whenever we have these little dust ups it's always interesting what comes out of it And so um, from my perspective there were I think it was a sum total of five bloggers that I, that I watched this, you know, sort of explosion Mm -hmm. happen, Um, and one of the bloggers, there were two bloggers that were dad bloggers in particular, who, uh, somebody had posted a thing saying, let's all boycott Thinking Person's Guide to Autism, because they allowed the person with autism to have this discussion. No, please, let's boycott free speech. Right, right, right? and and, uh, somebody who posted, just posted, this is what's being said, then got a torrent of people writing in and saying, you know, everybody needs to have a voice in this. Of course. And And he uh, then said, what this has done for me is raised—and I'm talking about Jim Walter, and his blog is Just a Little Blog, Great Dad Blogger. You should check it out. We've had Jim on the show before. Um, And what he said was—he said, holy crap. Uh-huh. I, you know, what yeah. I've learned. I went to bed, and all these uh, people yeah, and I woke in, up, and there was this, and all of this uh, And he said, "What I've learned is how hard it is to try to regulate the discussion. Mm-hmm. That it's next to impossible. Mm-hmm. That we need to allow people to say what, what they need to say. We all mm-hmm. need to keep it." Kind. kind,
9: yeah, not, and keep it on the I up mean, and up. I can keep it but, somewhat sarcastic and cynical, but not. I right. think the new word for it now is snarky. is Yes. that the yes. new internet buzzword. Yes. <laughs> snarky. snarky comments. Yeah, so it's and not people find and it me. rewarding
3: to be snarky. Yeah. Let's but, be. You know. But we need to give our adults a voice, and I think Andrew Duff, who's about to be with us, <sighs> you know this. You know, as a parent, I am absolutely a hundred percent clear that modern ABA is essential for all of our kids on the autism spectrum. Yes, and I am I'm very t- protective when people try to denigrate it using old ideas. Old you know, and I say, my grandmother used butter on a burn, too. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> my
9: father used to take his belt to me and then I, when I got into trouble, he'd go out and get a tree and get a switch. Right. He was a great dad. Was that a great parenting technique? No. No.
3: no. And and so, you know, there are some things that that still are called ABA that are not. And right. it's important that we're clear on what those things are. And but let I also, me also
9: say, if you think you have an ABA provider, that is doing anything that resembles adverse and you catch them doing something get a shaming
3: lawyer. or harming your child, then you're not with the right ABA program, Right. And get a lawyer. But I think that there we need to be listening to these adults about the process that they go through. Mm-hmm. Whether it was positive or negative, there are still feelings attached. And that's yeah. one of the things that Andrew Duff talks about is that he got help. He got better, but it left him with some feelings and we need to talk about that. We need to give them the opportunity to voice those things yeah. because it's a part of the journey. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to close ourselves off to that. Okay. So having so said that on. Yeah, we're gonna take a break and as and we go to break, we're gonna show you the beginning of Andrew's um, one man performance of Where Are We Now? And and you'll you'll begin to see and then we're gonna have Andrew joining us to talk via Skype. But take yeah, a look at just the first look. few minutes. And, and, of and this we're gonna urge
9: you to watch this whole absolute uh, entry. So this is Andrew Deff, where are and we now? We'll take a break and be back yes. with it. Where are
8: we now? It sure is a strange place to have ended up. Well I only have a little bit of time and a whole lot to say so I better get to it. It's um, it's really quiet in here. I can hear myself thinking. It's not good. One second. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That is much better. I hate silence. I actually have to put headphones in and listen to music, even if I'm just going to the dining hall. I get antsy otherwise. Okay, so let's. The fuck? (laughs) Why do I wear. I hate suits. One second. (laughs) Much better. I've always hated suits too. They're too stuffy and professional. Okay, now I'm ready to begin. My name is Duff, and I have autism. I realize I don't look or sound the part. I honestly don't blame you if you don't believe me. I have trouble believing it myself sometimes. Believe it or not, when I was younger, I had all the behaviors of an autistic child. No communication, no eye contact, hated being touched. I even had specific behaviors that only autistic people would have, such as hand flapping, um, waving the fingers outside my peripheral, and on the rare occasion, headbanging. It's tough to believe, right? The reason it is so tough to believe is because I got better. Or at least that's what I'm told. By better, I mean I get to be a functioning member of society. Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? I made this list. (laughs) 50 reasons why it sucks to get better. Hopefully this will give you guys an idea of where I'm coming from. So, for example, um, you, Sarah, give me a number between 1 through 50. 26. 26. Have to maintain my weight, appearance, and overall health. I'm not allowed to go to a fast food joint and get a triple cheeseburger with a supersized fry and a large soda every day. <laughs> I used to be able to do that. Now, if I go bleh, people go bleh. <laughs> um, You, please, another number. Eighteen. Eighteen. Have to get a 9-to-5 job. Probably explains the suit. I don't want to get a job. Sorry, (laughs) Mom. At least, at least not yet. I just don't think there's anything I'd be good at. Plus, the world doesn't need another college graduate working in retail. It's a waste of space. Um, you, please, another number. Four. Four. Have to play the flirting game. Have any of you ever seen an autistic person flirt? <laughs> it just doesn't work. I mean, am I supposed to go up to somebody and not tell them I like them? Or do I go up to somebody and tell them I like them but I don't actually say I like them? It's stupid. It needs to be a lot more simple. I should just, I should just be able to go up to somebody. <laughs> Please, since I called on you, how about you give me your number? I mean, um, I mean, if you want to give me your number.
3: <laughs> Welcome back, amazing young man! Amazing performance! You really need to watch the entire thing. We're going to show another clip in just a few minutes. But Andrew is joining us via Skype right yes, now.
9: Yes, he is. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Hello. I'm very well. How
3: are you guys?
9: We're great, and we are big fans already. Yes. Uh, we understand you're <laughs> Thank joining. You very much. Yeah, you're joining us from New York at the Autism Speaks offices. I am. Well, that's yes. obviously you're doing some things with them.
1: Yes, doing a couple things with them, and I'm also doing some work with the Tectonic Theater Project oh, at the moment e- as well. So it's been a busy couple months.
9: Excellent. Well, we're going to get into that a little bit later, but <laughs> first we would love to know. How old were you when you were diagnosed with autism? And tell us how you, in your own words from the clip, got better.
1: So I was, uh, I was officially diagnosed when I was about two. Um, it was about 1992. And, uh, you know, back then, the information that was available wasn't really up to snub. It's not where we are now. And my parents, my mom in particular, got very lucky because my uncle is a psychologist. And so at the time, he said, Oh, there are these symptoms such as hand flapping and headbanging. You should look into this thing called autism because my parents originally thought that I was deaf. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't look at them and I wasn't responding to anything. I got the diagnosis. It was autism through and through. I didn't get PDD, NOS or Mm -hmm. Asperger's. I got flat autism. And I was then put into the uh, Eden Institute, uh, the Wawa House in specific which is uh, in Princeton, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. and the Wawa house was for one to three-year-olds. And I did that for about a year and a half. And And were you
3: residential there? You lived in?
1: I did not live in, no, no, no. I would be driven uh, by my grandma, actually. My grandma would drive me to the Wawa house, and then I would be there for for pretty much a full standard school day. And then I would uh, go home. Mm -hmm. and from there I after the Wawa house I was put into a local special education class Mm -hmm. um, for autism and I was actually the first one in that class because it was kind of the very first one it was brand new and then uh, from there I went uh, from half special ed Uh, During the first half of the day and then half preschool in the mainstream preschool Mm -hmm. the second half of the day was Mm -hmm. with speech therapy and occupational therapy Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. from there uh, I did uh, three quarters kindergarten and then one quarter special ed was speech therapy occupational therapy and it just kind of snowballed from there and I just they kept taking away certain things until eventually I had my IEP and 504 plan Uh, by the time I was in high school they were gone
9: okay so you were, you clearly showed progress and, mm-hmm. and you didn't have, a, a, did you have an intensive, say, ABA therapy for like 40 hours a week or was it more help you got at school?
1: The, during the early years, during Wawa House, it was definitely more intensive ABA. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I saw it actually was when I interned at the Wawa House when I was 18 and I saw a video clip of me going through the ABA, which I'm I'm sure you could guess is a pretty strange thing to see, you know, 20 some odd years later.
6: Mm.
1: And so I I was held and, you know, they would do, they would kind of redirect my face to Mm -hmm. the page and and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. in the preschool, it was more, it it was a standard school day and I would stay, I think maybe an hour longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was more basic, and then there was a b a involved in the preschool as well, although not to the extent of of Eden, where it was nine to five a b a in the preschool. I still had the recess, and I still had all these things
6: mm-hmm.
1: and then as time went on, I would do speech therapy, occupational therapy, but those would be supplementary to the mainstream classes I was in
3: mm-hmm. well, I think Andrew, you can appreciate that parents uh, like us watch you now, and uh we are filled with hope um, Mm -hmm. because you're doing remarkable things included in this performance. And we really want to encourage people to watch this performance to see what is possible, but also to see some of the emotional things that you went through and that, you know, maybe we're gonna talk to you about if you're continuing to go through that. But where can they go to watch this video?
1: They can go directly to YouTube. They can go to YouTube and type in the search bar, where are we now, Andrew Duff and then it should be the first thing that pops up. They can also go uh, directly to AutismSpeaks.org because they have a blog post that I was featured on, the, the 10 uh, amazing individuals with autism in 2013. If you look that up, you not only see my video, but you see nine other you know, fantastic people and beauty pageants, music, singing, yes. rap, everything.
3: And that so, was I in fact where we pictures. found you mm-hmm. on, yeah. that, on that blog post, which was incredible. So we're gonna take a break and uh, then when we come back, uh, we're going to see some more of the performance, a really uh, devastating part of the performance where you actually, in your one man show, talk about what you're feeling and then talk to yourself as uh, you-, you become the child that you were talking to yourself now. Really
1: yeah, important. That was a tough one. That it's was t- a t- tough t- part. <laughs> well, uh, it
3: a
9: very revealing. Um, portion, because I think so many of us don't think about the fact of uh, us pulling our children from the world where they were so comfortable, yeah. and yeah. having to, to to take on these new skills and go out into a very scary world of emotions yeah. and fear. And so let's let's go to that, and and then we're gonna we're gonna come back.
3: And we're gonna talk yeah. more with Andrew about what he's working on right now. That's right. I can't wait to hear about okay. that. But take a right. look at this other clip from "Where Are We Maybe. Now." Maybe I was better off the way I was. Did you ever think of that?
6: If I stayed the way I was, I wouldn't have to go! I would always be
8: home! You can always take care of me! And I wouldn't be afraid anymore!
1: Instead, I'm stuck in this fucking bullshit limbo! With nowhere to go!
8: I wanna go back! Do you hear me? I want to go back! Where are we now? He's here. Andrew? I can't see you, but I think you're here. (laughs) Must look like a fucking (laughs) mess, (laughs) huh? If it's alright with everyone, I'm gonna talk to myself for a while. Here's the bad news, kid. You're not gonna get better. Clinically, yeah, you'll be an autistic miracle, but that's relative. In fact, I'd go as far to say you're better off the way you were. You'd always be taken care of you wouldn't be afraid, and let's be completely honest, you're a lot more appealing as you were than how I am. Despite how you look and act, you'd be scared all the time. People will be very strange to you. Concepts and social norms that, come simply to most people, come very difficultly for you. I don't know if you know what hate is, but you will. I'm sorry for that. It's a bad thing to know. It's an even worse thing to do. But you can't help it. It just happens. You'll be intimate with a number of girls. (laughs) sounds cool. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, you won't know if you've loved a single one of them. And that'll eat at you. Because you won't know if it's the autism or just you. You make the effort, take a leap of faith, but for one reason or another, it just doesn't work. And when the time comes when you finally have to leave and go off on your own, you'll lie awake in bed at night, wonder if you've reached your limit, and really wonder if maybe it'd be better not to get better. He's wrong, you know, about being better. He's not completely wrong, but he's pretty wrong. Hi, I'm Andrew. I put Duff away for a while. He was being a little stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, in his defense, stupid is a stupid does, but... Aww. I don't know if he realizes this, but I've always been there. I never left. Mm-hmm. If it's alright with everybody, I'm gonna talk to myself for a while. <laughs> You're not the smartest tool in the shed, but... Things have a way of working out for you. You seem to catch a lot of lucky breaks. I think you should cherish them. It means there's something more for you to do. You say you don't get things, but you do. It just takes you a little while, that's all. Oh, that's your throat? you get the important things you know helping others protecting others a few times you've seen somebody getting bullied and you bully the bully right back kind of like a comic book superhero or something despite what you think people seem to like you not love but life's okay <laughs> You say I don't get what hate is, but I do. I hate things. I hate broccoli. (laughs) I hate songburn. I really hate jellyfish. Hating's not bad. It actually keeps the bad things away. Just don't do it too much. (laughs) <laughs> you say, you still don't get love. But that doesn't mean you never will. Heck, I think there's even been a couple close calls and circumstance got in the way and not you. Plus you get to have sex. <laughs> I do this for fun. <laughs> Don't even look back. Just keep going ahead and hope for the best. That's what being better is. I have to go now. I'm not really supposed to be here. I hope he understands what I told him. I think he does. It was nice seeing everybody.
9: Welcome back to let's talk autism uh, with Shannon and Nancy and Shannon and I are having a remarkable conversation with a young man named Andrew Duff. Hi, Andrew. Hello. And you just saw a, a more extended clip from his show, his one-man show, "Where Are We Now?" And any autism parent will that watches this will be touched by it, will be inspired by it. And we've been learning uh, in the last segment. Andrew talked to us about his interventions and how he he did come out of autism and got better,
3: as he calls it. And can and, I interject here yes. for just a second that Andrew's mom had written in during the break and she said this is andrew's mom fyi he received aba through eden's wawa house but not 40 hours a week three hours per week at the wawa house and two hours per week at our home and we tried to follow through on the bsp at home without the therapist so good to know that very good good Thank so you, mom it, for it, thanks the best. mom Thanks, mom. and
9: we heard some remarkable things about your mom she sounds like she's like climbing art Antarctica, Antarctica you told us or something
1: yeah she's planning a trip to go to Antarctica to do some some ice climbing so
9: way to go warrior our remarkable, mom. A remarkable mom. Uh, once again yeah. we hear remarkable parents involved yes. in this remarkable young man so in a good parenting but uh you talked in that last clip Andrew about some of the frustration and real heartbreak and fear uh, you felt and felt through the process of getting better. Um, do you still have that desire maybe to go back and tell us about what that was like for you?
1: Yeah, uh, the, the short answer would be yes, I, I do feel that way. It's more of a, almost a philosophical kind of reasoning why I thought that because growing up, Um, Once I was put in mainstream classes, I had the speech therapy and occupational therapy. But once I hit about fifth grade till end of high school, I didn't really think of myself as autistic at all. I almost kind of put it on the back burner and I didn't really consider it. And I had my difficulties socially and I just kind of attributed it to, you know, just being me and just being a little quirky and odd. And I didn't really put a lot of thought into it in college. I started to worry because the real world is coming up, I'm going to have to get a job soon, I have to, you know, do my own laundry, you know, go to make my own meals on time, go to these classes, appointments, all these things. And that's when it really started to dawn on me that, you know, if I didn't get better, you know, I don't have to deal with doing my own things, Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about taking care of myself, I don't have to worry about getting a job, getting a girlfriend, getting a house, getting doing taxes, doing doing all the things that being neurotypical comes with. Yeah. I'm and
9: smiling because the getting a girlfriend part, you know, I love I love this section of your performance where you talk about flirting and sex and, you know,
3: you're very frank about it, yes. which is great.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, I, I think I think it's the kind of thing that cuz it's not really talked about that yeah. often. It's actually something I've always thought to be a very kind of interesting aspect. Mhm of that is that, yeah, I do, I do that, too. Um, It's just kind of how it is, and I think being frank about it as opposed to really dancing around the issue, I just kind of, I do it, you know, not it, the best part in the world, but it's okay.
3: So. And as parents, we want these things for our children. These are the blessings that we want, but we forget. They're difficult things to negotiate, the, the, and they the, do bring up fear and yeah, trepidation. Let's and, face
9: it, the world is a pretty frightening scary. place, it and it's place. easier to live within that box than to be out there in the big bad world sure. in our minds sometimes. But,
3: Andrew, it, it, I, I, I'm i sorry. I don't want to interrupt you for just a second because I want to talk a little bit about, you know, there's a portion in, in your show when you... Uh, portray your parents for a moment yeah. and and which was very poignant as well we don't want to give it away because we want people to watch the whole video but I'm wondering do you remember when you were little and your parents reactions or is that did you base that section on things that you've talked about with your parents since that time we always want to know what do our what are what, our kids picking up yeah, what's going on in it's, your mind
1: I definitely, I definitely, it's the vast majority of it is from what I've been told by my parents, and actually just by who my parents are. Yeah. Because I've, talk- I've talked a lot about my mom, uh, and as you can guess, she was very much the gung-ho parent. She talked to my uncle, who suggested it might be autism, got me into the ABA, sent me up for therapies, did this and that. And my dad, on the other side of it, on the other side of the spectrum, didn't, he knew that I needed to get these things, but he never really, Pushed, he would just kind of have me do things. You know, he he would treat me normally. He'd say, "We're gonna go play baseball. We're gonna go do this and that." And and some people might immediately think that, "Oh, my mom is the better parent because she went straight to ABA and doing all these things and being gung ho about it." But in a way, my dad did just as important a job, if not more important, because he never really thought of me as you know something broken or something that needed. Fixing. I'm not saying my mom did, I'm just saying my mom was much more gung-ho about getting the things that I did need. My dad was more inclined to treat me normally and well, treat he, me as if nothing was wrong.
9: He was like the ultimate uh, example of inclusion. He, yeah. he took <laughs> yep. you out into the world and he was not going to put you behind closed doors, which one of the saddest things that I've heard about so many families with children with autism said, uh, a friend of mine said, you know, their child was diagnosed and then the family disappeared. Yeah. They went away behind closed doors. They stopped going to neighborhood events. They stopped being out in the community, which is the worst thing for our kids, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean my my I mean it's funny, it's kind of ironic because my parents are a bit antisocial themselves. They kinda like to do their own things. But my, my dad's my parents, both my parents, actually, my dad even more so have always been, you're fine, just do it kind of School of Hard Knocks style, just go out and do it, don't think too much about it. And I think in the end, that benefited me
3: mm-hmm. greatly.
1: I, I can't say if it would work for everyone else, but for me, it sure did a lot.
3: Well, that's remarkable. And a great thing for all of our parents to hear that there are different sides to this that right. are both uh, beneficial. Did you have another we're, question? we're running out of time. Yeah. And somebody wants to know if you're going to be perform, when you're next going to be performing this live, where are you now? Are you going to do that or you want to talk about the next thing you're working on? I,
1: I, well, I, I've been thinking about doing, doing a solo performance somewhere hopefully in New York City where I'm located I I don't know when that would happen it's definitely something on my radar Uh, currently what I'm doing is I'm working with tectonic theater project who's most famous uh, for their activist theater namely uh, the Laramie project um
6: yes
9: about Matthew Shepard yes Yes.
1: years ago we're doing a piece about autism (sighs) called square peg round hole and and I'm in it and I'm also a collaborator. square
9: peg I'm sorry Andrew square peg round hole did you say
1: Scrub, Peg, Ground, Hole, okay. and it's a play by Tectonic Theory Project, and it's exploring everything there is on the spectrum, right. ranging from adults with autism to, to teenagers with Asperger's to young children with very severe autism. PREVIOUS diagnoses, PREVIOUS TREATMENTS, HOW THE WORLD PERCEIVES IT, IT'S EVERYTHING, EVERYTHING'S EXPLORED IN IT, AND THAT'S CURRENTLY WHAT I'M WORKING ON
3: AT THE MOMENT. WONDERFUL. WE CAN'T WAIT TO HEAR MORE ABOUT THAT, AND I HAVE TO SAY BEFORE WE END THAT WHEN I WAS RESEARCHING YOU, um, YOU HAD WRITTEN A BLOG FOR AUTISM SPEAKS WHERE YOU TALKED ABOUT THAT SORT OF YOUR PORTAL INTO SOME OF THIS WAS GOING TO WRONGPLANET.NET
1: yes yeah
3: and alex plank who created WrongPlanet.net, is a regular here on the show and i shared that with him the day that i saw it. i said alex did you know that you know part mm-hmm. of the reason why this young man is doing these things he says i gotta meet this guy yeah so, so we'll have to arrange
9: that when yes. you, if you come out to los yeah, angeles I would
1: absolutely love to meet him will you come he visit would love us to meet you too. yeah will
9: you come yeah. visit us and actually be live on the set if you come out to la i
3: would
1: love to okay yeah. okay so well, well,
9: and we will look forward to hearing yeah. more
3: about uh, Square Peg toll.
9: And, and Andrea, I just want to thank you yeah. for being an example of uh, someone who parents like us can have the faith and the hope that our children may manifest one day into such a remarkable individual as you. Thank you. Well,
0: thank you. Thank you very much for having
1: me. And, and I, I, I'm glad that I can be of any hope. You know, I'm just trying to. Uh, my main goal with working at Autism Speaks and this play and my soul performance is just to see every side of autism and every side of all, like everything, so, so society wise, medical wise, and just trying to get a full knowledge. So it's really great to know that people support that.
3: Yes, you're a gift to us. You so are. thank you for that. And we'll look forward to talking with you more. Thank you.
1: Yep, thank you very much. Take care. You too.
3: Remarkable, remarkable yeah. young man. And watch, again, the whole you've gotta watch the whole thing. You've got know, to watch the whole thing. We gave you snippets, but you know, it's, And, and it's, share it with your spouse, yes, with absolutely. your family. Where are we now? You can find that or on YouTube. Or maybe your child,
9: or, if your child is, you know, maybe absolutely. it's something you a teenager or if you have a young adult. Uh, I'm sure they can
3: relate to a lot of the things that Andrew expresses in the performance really remarkable We're going to take a short break and come back and squeeze in a little bit about the Jenny McCarthy controversy over the last weekend So stick with us
4: When you find out you're having a boy you always think like oh, he's gonna play football He's gonna do this and that and then when he's diagnosed all those things get washed away It's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind, you know, where is he, what is he doing, is he safe? We really didn't know what we were dealing with. I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information. I was a
3: young mom. I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism.
9: Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. ACT Today is determined to bridge the gap. These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Pichet is an amazing woman. And she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports. Things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen.
0: I got the iPad for an act.
9: From Earth, what yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? My God, that I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country, and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that
3: we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that
4: bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called and they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above.
7: I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because,
4: you know, without it, we would we would have been lost.
7: The ACT grant was a total miracle. and Without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog. So we're so appreciated
4: what they've done for us as a family.
9: Recently, ACT Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Are we ready? There you
6: go. Got
9: it.
0: Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate.
4: It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp. And they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get
9: two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart. So it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. Back today, there we are, yes. and we're back bigger and better and stronger in the new year. So uh, we wanted to talk about Jenny McCarthy for a little bit.
3: Yeah, there was a whole, uh, there was a torrent of stuff on social networking mm-hmm. a couple of days ago uh, with various and sundry titles, some of them saying uh, Jenny Jenny yeah. McCarthy says, Oops. Oops, my bad, Yeah, uh, my son never had autism. Not even Jenny McCarthy believes Jenny McCarthy anymore. The yeah. greatest autism flip-flop. All these remarkable articles... Uh, and and the little blurb said, yeah. in, a, in a recent Time magazine article, uh, she reveals that her son has this neurological problem, that it wasn't autism, sorry. Um, and But then upon further inspection, if you look into it, what you see is that uh, they took a comment that she made in 2010 in a Time article and completely twisted it yeah. into something that's completely false. Even right. Jenny herself has come forward, and uh, you can go to Generation Rescue and see that she gave a comment and said, this, are, this is, I'm getting lawyers. This is completely false. Yeah, this, she I did, never said never that my said child that, did, not that did not have autism. She's um,
9: always said that Evan's diagnosis. Um, in 2007. She announced it and she's always stood by it. And it, it somebody just mentioned in an article that it might have been Landau-Kleffner syndrome. She's, there's never been testing right. for that to confirm that. And he was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, which she stands by. Absolutely. So there you go.
3: So, uh, you know, just wanting to remind everybody that everything you read isn't Not necessarily true. Well, I know uh, that. I've been in the tabloids the before and there you whipped go. around. And I, <laughs> I have not had the pleasure of being in the tabloids, but, um, you know. Just because
9: I was married to somebody who went on to get famous, so. Well,
3: there is that. <laughs> there, there is that. Um, but uh, we were going to talk a little bit about, I'm, I'm blushing a little bit because um, you don't normally talk about that. No, I don't. <laughs> That's okay.
9: okay. All right. N- name rhymes with fat shower on a morning show. Okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, I've never heard that before. Okay, so there we go. Um, but in any case, we wanted to take just a, a second here. At, we've got like 30 seconds. Yes. It's 2014, Nancy said, about what do we wish for. I've written a blog that's called State of the State of Autism 2014, putting the pieces together. You can find it on Blogging for Autism. We'll put a link on Facebook. But tell us what you want for well, 2014. I, I, you know,
9: I guess mine is a little bit less uh, program and uh, it's not as much policy and all that. It's really about feeling and, you know, what I talk about in Autism Empowerment for Parents, and that is I wish for all of us—you, my friend, me, and all of our viewers—that they have faith and hope and courage. And if they have those things—hope, faith, and courage—then they will get to a state of peace, joy, and love, I believe. I would love that. And hope, faith, and courage for your children so we can have more of what it's all about,
3: which is love. Absolutely, absolutely remarkable. And thank you for that wonderful ending note. I'm just going to remind you as we get ready to sign off that tomorrow on the show, we're going to have with us Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and Dr. Adele Nadowski. They're going to be answering your questions. Part of my mission for 2014 is to bring you more information Get your questions answered so that we can make more people achieve their potential. Great. And part of that, my big watchword for this year is quality ABA. We're not Goodness. talking about ABA anymore. We're talking about Great. quality ABA. Yeah. So, uh, having said all of that, uh, I want to remind you to be with us tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and give yourselves a hug from me. All right. Bye bye for now.